0: Ladies and
1: gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain.
0: Mike Florio.
1: He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet.
0: NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late, I was talking to Robert Kraft. That isn't the time for an airing of grievances. Pro Football Talk. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Mike Florio with Bernstein, Holmes, and Rahimi
2: on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Let's talk some football with Mike Florio, shall we? He is the creator and editor-in-chief of Pro Football Talk, and he is with us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, CircaLasVegas.com, twitch.tv slash Chicago670. The score, Mike. Hello. Hey.
1: Mike, there's a little bit of history being made at Hallis Hall. What do you know about Jennifer King?
0: You know, I, I, I don't know much. Like I don't know much about most assistant coaches in the NFL, and we know how this goes. You get a foothold, low level, and you work your way up, and you earn greater and greater opportunities and possibilities, and we see how high it goes. But for everybody who becomes a head coach, there are dozens who want to get in that position and have had various jobs along the way. And you know, we're getting to the point, I think, I hope, where we just accept the fact that gender isn't a barrier to having success as a professional coach. And I think the the next frontier is a female coordinator, offensive or defensive. And then at some point after that it would be the coordinator becoming a head coach. It's going to be a slow process just because it's a slow process for everybody who gets in on the entry level. But this is somebody who has experience, this is somebody who's had some success and you know we're getting hopefully closer and close to the point where the gender of the assistant coach coordinator or head coach doesn't matter.
3: I think there's also a message when it comes to certain franchises being more open in hiring as well. I think it's a positive message. Like for example, when you're the lions and you have a player based coaching staff or you're the Texans who have a young staff with D'Amico Ryans as the head coach or Tampa
1: a... under Bruce Arians, where he was hiring everybody.
3: It's a, it's a good look to say, We have a lot of positions for a lot of people.
0: That's right. And it's not a requirement that you played football at a high level to be an effective coach. Now, at some point, you've got to be able to communicate to a room full of professional football players if you're going to become a head coach. But still, there's a way to do it without having been a professional football player or even a college football player. It helps. It gives you a little more authority in that locker room, but you can make up for it elsewhere. So, you know, I think it's a good thing to see the NFL catching up to the rest of society. It's always felt like pro football has been, I don't know, at times 40 years, at times 60 years behind the rest of society. It's just kind of nice to see the NFL catching up.
1: I want to follow up on a, a firing that happened last week, and I haven't had the chance to talk to you about it. Why,
0: why does Steve Wilkes keep getting fired? Well... I think that in this specific situation, the explanation is because he got hired. Like the arguments that were being advanced for firing Steve Wilkes last week, you know, he doesn't run the defense naturally that the 49ers prefer. So it was kind of a rough transition. Well, you knew that when you hired him. He did get hired into that job. I think what happened was Kyle Shanahan ended up spending, and I don't know this, but I think this is just common sense. He ended up spending a lot more time than he ever does Messing with the defense instead of focusing on the offense. And it created stress for him. It created strain for him. And he decided he didn't want to do that again this year. And I think that that is the specific micro explanation for what occurred with Steve Wilkes. And it could just be the guy can't catch a break. I mean, he did a great job as interim coach of the Panthers, but David Tepper didn't want to give him the full time job. He got stuck in a horrible spot with the Cardinals where the GM was suspended during training camp in the preseason for an extreme DUI. But after a bad 2018 season, one year on the job, Wilkes got fired and Steve Kimes stayed. And we've got the pending lawsuit that he's part of alleging decades of racial bias in NFL coaching. So I'm surprised and I'm delighted he keeps getting hired In fairly significant positions, even though his name is attached to that lawsuit. I thought all of the plaintiffs who were suing the NFL would be shunned forever. But Brian Flores is a defensive coordinator. Wilkes has been hired by two different teams. And I think the firings are just part of the same vague, weird stuff that happens to coaches all the time. Mike, I
2: know this isn't necessarily your purview day to day, but something that I've been thinking about now that we have some distance from it is what we experienced over the last few weeks with the confluence of football, popular culture, and explosive gun violence being one of the saddest American things, one of the most American things that we've experienced. And... It's it's still it's still kind of resonating with me that one of the most the most watched television show of all time, and there's Taylor Swift, and then we've got Andy Reid comforting someone amid gunfire, like there's there's a there's a I don't know if there's a book here or what there is, but the. The, the, the grandiosity, the, just the sheer size, and then the awfulness of it, it just the Americanness ness of it has been really sort of heavy for me.
0: I, I, I agree with you. And I think it was easier to articulate thoughts, even though we all have a certain degree of resignation, that nothing is going to change when a mass shooting happens as a result of a weapon of war that no one should have access to, specifically landing in the hands of someone who should have access to nothing that fires any type of projectile, all the way up to Nerf bullets. When you have that in our society, that feels like something we can at least try to muster the will to solve. When we have a situation where you've got people who are carrying pistols and who get sufficiently upset with each other because someone, according to the charging documents, was simply looking at someone else and guns are pulled and indiscriminately fired into a crowd of thousands. I don't know where you begin to try to even identify a potential solution to that. And this whole idea of people disrespecting each other by looking at them, I just did a an edition of our PFTPM podcast, where I spent a lot of time talking about that. I mean, look, I've got stories of people that I know that got into fights because somebody was looking at them. You know, my mom one, t- one time had had girls that were roughly my age were in the car and they're like, what are you looking at? I mean, people of all ages, shapes and sizes and genders get upset when someone is looking at you. If the solution to that is pull out a gun and start pulling the trigger, what the, what can we do about anything? I
3: think uh, one of the things that was lasting with me, Mike, from the press conference that immediately happened where, I, you know, public information officer typically is the one talking to reporters was the phrase, this isn't Kansas City. And I think shame needs to be discussed because denial isn't working. Not only is this Kansas City, it's America.
0: How are they going to secure the draft in Detroit? How are they going to secure any other mass gathering of people related to an NFL event? And you can say, well, they'll just put metal detectors at the perimeter. We'll have a hard perimeter and we'll put metal detectors there. OK, fine. How do you secure the area beyond the perimeter? Because you're going to have people gathering to go through the metal detectors. I mean, if somebody is determined, either premeditated or in the moment, to pull out a gun and start using it, you really can't secure any place where people gather. And You know, this is a sad realization I had seven or eight years ago when we first started to focus on this problem of mass shootings literally every day in this country. When you leave your home, there are a certain number of risks you assume. There are certain ways that you can be seriously injured or killed. Getting shot in a public place without warning is now one of those risks that you assume anytime you leave your house.
1: Do you think this will change the way that teams will at least prepare for celebrations? I mean, I, I'm not even sure what they can do other than maybe move them inside. But even then, there's still risk. So is this a throw your hands up? Or do you think that NFL teams will even study this and say, what is it that we can do if our team wins a Super Bowl? And we want to hold a rally for all the people that support us, but we want them to be safe.
0: Well, I I hope that every city will use this as guidance for any gathering. And I think the only solution is to have that clear perimeter where no one's getting through without passing through a metal detector. But again, that doesn't eliminate the risk of something happening on the other side of the perimeter. But at least it doesn't happen in the event. That that's really the only way around. Like, you know, a stadium is incredibly secure. Fine. But the process of getting to the stadium isn't. And I think the NFL is very fortunate something like this hasn't happened before. When you consider all the tailgate parties, everything that happens in the parking lot, all the craziness, all the alcohol before a game, but for the grace of God goes the NFL when it comes to the kind of thing that happened last Wednesday, not happening when we've got 16 stadiums every weekend hosting these NFL games.
2: What is the latest you're hearing of substance regarding what the Bears may do leading up to the draft and a quarterback?
0: The one thing that I saw this week that caused me to try to apply some logic and common sense, although I will admit that my capacity to engage in both may be flawed at times, the report from Albert Breer that the Bears expect to have their plan at quarterback in place by next week at the scouting combine that to me suggests that for now they're thinking about trading that pick because if the move is we're going to trade justin fields and draft caleb williams how do you finalize that the week of the scouting combine don't you have a lot more due diligence to do to come to the conclusion that this is the guy we're going to entrust the franchise with that we're going to move on from a guy who still could end up being a pretty good quarterback and put all the eggs in the caleb williams basket it just seems early To have come to the conclusion 100% universally, unconditionally, this is our guy. So if there's going to be a plan finalized by next week, it would seem to me the plan is no different than the plan last year when Ryan Poles was at the scouting combine engaging in the meetings that culminated in the trade that sent the number one pick to the Panthers in exchange for a lot of other stuff. And now look, maybe that's my own bias talking because I think that's what the Bears should do, trade the pick get more lottery tickets, get more players, see what Justin Fields' ceiling can be, and move forward. I look back at the history of number one overall picks in the draft. It is not a murderer's row of Hall of Famers. You're taking a big risk that Caleb Williams is going to be this generational talent that everyone says, we don't know what he's going to be. So that's why I hope that's what they're doing. But that was my takeaway from that report. The only way you have a plan in place by next week is if the plan is we're going to get maximum return for that number one overall selection
2: unless the word plan is is meaning something else it could be a a plan for their plan you know what i'm saying where which our plan involves beginning our due diligence on caleb
0: williams and or drake may look there's a lot of different ways this can go and they have done a very good job of keeping everyone in the dark now the fans might want a little more information we as media members might want to have more information so we can properly serve as conduits to the fans about what the hell's going on but from the standpoint of no one knowing what they're going to do that gives them maximum leverage when it's time for them to make a trade if a trade is going to happen maybe they don't know and won't know what they're going to do until they know what all the alternatives are what all the offers would be either for justin fields or for that first overall pick. So there there really are a lot of different things they can do, and they've done a very good job of keeping everyone in the dark about what they're thinking. Mike, what's your favorite
1: part of the combine?
0: (laughs) I've gone enough times now that there are none. I mean, the whole thing is just an exhausting week. I like the opportunity to sit down and visit with coaches and general managers, even though it really turns into a very stressful, nonstop process where you're just on all day long and it's one after another. I like that part of it, even though it wears me out. I like getting the chance to meet a lot of the prospects before they are sucked into the NFL's vortex. You get a feeling just, you know, how these guys come across. We try to have some fun with them. We try to give them a little bright light of, of a good time in the midst of this, you know, this very dehumanizing process that the combine can be. But I guess the favorite part of it for me is when it's over and I can finally go home because it is a very long, exhausting week that I dread more and more every year.
2: Are we done with some of the psychological personality testing? I forgot specifically what the CJ Stroud controversial test was was this idea of processing speed and one of the large agencies is now telling quarterback prospects and others just don't participate in this. It's dehumanizing and don't do it.
0: The S2 test is the exam that CJ Stroud supposedly failed miserably last year. Oh, and Bryce Young did incredibly well. And Justin Fields, I think, had
1: like the highest score of his draft class and which is one of the, it's interesting because the question on him is, does he process quickly enough on the on the field. So, it, I'm test. Sorry. yeah, it, yep. it seems like it's now not a great test.
0: Well, at least in theory, the S2 test is aimed at simulating decision-making abilities under stressful circumstances, even if the test itself is very flawed. It's still better than the Wonderlick test, which I still don't understand what connection it has, if any, to NFL ability. There is such a desire, I think, by teams to have data that is completely apples to apples comparable year after year after year. So we've been doing the wonderlick test forever. We're going to keep doing it. I like the idea of players finally pushing back against it. I've been saying for years, if they can't secure the results of these invasive tests that can be used to make people look stupid because somebody's going to leak it to Bob McGinn, and Bob McGinn, without thinking twice about the ethical ramifications, is going to put it out there for everybody to see. And look, we've been there and done that. We used to put those numbers out there until I realized, wait a minute, there's something fundamentally unfair about this to the players, especially because a lot of the players would show up and not even care about the wonderlick test. They didn't know it was being submitted. I'm not here to take a test. They just put down whatever answers. They get a horrible score and everybody thinks that they you know, uh, are stupid when they, they just didn't really care about taking the test. So I think the whole thing needs to go. And I like the idea of agencies now standing up on behalf of the players and saying, our guys are not going to submit to this because they can't secure the scores. No matter what they do, there's always going to be somebody who's going to give the scores to someone who's going to see a profit motive in getting that information out there for clicks and views. And I I understand We're, we're, we're in the media business here. And there's money to be made, but I think there are lines that we need to respect. And hopefully this is the first step toward getting rid of all of those tests because they do get used against the players all too often.
3: Another rule change that uh, you've discussed and that players are discussing is the gambling rules. And we saw it really rear its ugly head last offseason, right before training camp. What's been the latest on what players are saying and if they can get any movement?
0: This is such a strange situation because – The gambling rules flow from the NFL's power to protect the integrity of the game, and there's no bargaining that is done. It's all unilateral. The union accepts and agrees that whatever the league wants to do, it can do. And I've been surprised that the league has even allowed players to engage in sports betting on other sports. The league could say, if you want to play professional football, if you want to play in the NFL, you have to wait to engage in sports betting until your career is over. But they've created this strange minefield where, and it's as ridiculous as, you can stand on the street outside of the facility and bet on March Madness, but the moment you walk through the door for your off-season workout, if you bet on the same game, you're suspended four games without pay. It makes no sense. And Chris Sims had an idea last year, and I think there's merit to this, The sports books that are stuffing money into the pockets of the owners want these guys who have a ton of disposable income and are intensely competitive and think they can win over the long haul. And we all know that you're going to lose over the long haul. The house always wins. They want their money. So let them bet on these other sports. But how can they say it's a threat to the integrity of the game when you're allowed to do it sometimes and in some places, but not others? It's either a threat to the integrity of the game or it isn't. And if it's legal and you're not going to go into debt with the bookie, you know, down at the bar where you got to sneak in the back door and place your action, if you get too far in debt, then they're going to start trying to get information about your team and maybe try to get you to shave points. That doesn't happen. You can only make these legal bets if you got the money now. It's not an affront to the integrity of the game. So hopefully the NFL, if they're going to let these guys bet at all, why have these dumb rules that will just cause guys to accidentally get themselves in trouble?
1: Mike, thanks for the time as always. We'll
3: talk to you next week. See you.